You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Now, I mean, no offense to the children who are here today, but kids are famously bad at judging time. Even if you don't have kids of your own, and have never had kids of your own, you're almost certainly familiar with the infamous phrase that is common on road trips with children. Are we there yet? And you don't have to get in the car to see this uncertainty around how long things will take, especially if expectations are high. Um, When you tell a young child that a friend is coming over later in the day, odds are pretty good, at least in my household, that they'll be glued to the front door hours before the friend arrives, or every few minutes pestering you with questions like, how long is it now? And how long is it now? And how long is it now? And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them that it's hours away, you get the same questions every every couple of minutes. The Thessalonians in our New Testament reading this morning were young Christians with some childlike qualities. We don't know the full content of what Paul preached when he went and visited Thessalonica, where, that, where this church was located. Acts 17 records his visit there, um, but all it tells us, it's a relatively short little couple paragraphs worth of, of text about what Paul did there. It tells us that Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. A few Jews and some God-fearing Greeks believed him, But soon a jealous mob rose up and had Paul and his companion Silas kicked out of the city. But somewhere in those three short days, Paul must have told the Thessalonians the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And they latched on to this Christ will come again piece. Perhaps even as Paul was preaching to them, he may have told them one of Jesus' parables, Jesus' own teaching about his return, maybe like the one we read today, that warns anyone who wants to follow him to be ready to watch for the coming of the kingdom of God. It's going to come when you least expect it, so be ready. If so, they took the message to heart because they were apparently wondering in their communication with Paul, is he coming yet? How long is it now? And as more time passed, their questions grew more urgent, because we know already that Paul was kicked out of the city that they were in for bringing the message of Jesus. And we also know from what he wrote to them that they were suffering. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, become imitators, that they had become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For the Thessalonians were suffering the same things that their own countrymen, from their own countrymen, that the church in Judea did from the Jews. I joke a little bit about their eagerness for Christ's return, being like a kid who wants to know, you know, are they there yet? But they had a very real reason for asking. They had a very strong sense of need. They were suffering, and they longed for the promised salvation of the returned Messiah. And they also, as time went on, had another concern that was perhaps even greater than their own suffering. They saw people who had come to believe in Jesus die. They didn't know 
understand at that time that it was going to be a, a long delay for Jesus' return. They were looking for his imminent arrival, and they had questions where if somebody died, were they going to miss out on the promised peace of the Messiah? Are they going to miss out on this restoration, the coming of the kingdom of God? So Paul wrote to tell them that the day of the Lord is a day of hope, even for those who have fallen into death. The picture that Paul paints of this day in, in Thessalonians, the reading that we had this morning, is striking. It's this vivid imagery of Jesus returning from heaven in the sky, a trumpet sounding, the voice of an archangel crying out, and then the dead rising to meet him in the air. And then those who are alive will join them, and all will be with the victorious Christ. There is hope, he says, because there is resurrection. And he points to that specifically. We have hope because of the resurrection. And the resurrection first is the resurrection of Jesus, and then of those who trust in him. In the next chapter that we didn't get to, but Paul sums it up this way. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. No matter what happens, whether we have a life of ease or of suffering, whether we live or die, if we are in Christ, our salvation is secure. This is the key of Paul's message to the Thessalonians. This is at the heart of what he's trying to help them to understand, that nothing can separate them from that promised salvation, not even death. There's a sense in which that salvation has already occurred. There are places in the Bible where it says we have been saved. But there's also another sense in which we wait for its completion. And the the Thessalonians saw this as they suffered, as they were looking for not just a salvation of sort of this spiritual reality, but in their current present physical reality, they were waiting for salvation. And the Bible also tells us this, that we are being saved and we look forward to our salvation, the completion of this day but we have hope and we have surety in it because of the resurrection. Christians live always with this tension between the already and the not yet, the, the hope that allows us, to, and it's hope that allows us to live in that in-between space, not trying to collapse it down in one way or another. Without hope, if we try to, to get rid of that tension because our hope is not strong, it falls apart. And that can happen in a couple of different ways. Um, there's, there's different ways that that happens. One that, that can happen to us if we don't have hope is just that we have despair instead. That we grow weary of the world. We look at all the brokenness around us. We look at the things that are going wrong in our own country. We look at the things that are going wrong in the world, that those who are suffering. We look at our own suffering and we just give up. And Paul is calling us to remember always that we have hope, that we don't have to give up because salvation is coming. We have that day that we look forward to where Jesus will come and set all things right. No matter how dark, no matter how bleak things may seem, we look forward to that day where even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. But there are other responses that we can have besides despair as well. One is just to decide that Jesus is taking too long, and so I'm just going to do it myself. 
either because we get angry at the world and the way that things are, and we kind of rage against it, or because we just look and we think, I'm just going to step in and we can, we can make justice happen. We can make salvation happen just by working hard enough. And it's good to long for and desire and work for justice and mercy and peace. But what history teaches us over and over again, very clearly, is that we'll always fall short. We will always find that it's not enough. That we can't bring about salvation on our own. And the way that we live with that tension where we, we work and walk in the ways that God has called us to, we, we long for justice and peace but we don't despair when we can't see it coming together is again pointing back to this hope that we have in Christ. The hope that is made sure in the resurrection and is promised in completion at his second coming. Another response that we can have is just kind of to try to over-spiritualize things, to be dismissive of the suffering in the world, to say that suffering doesn't really matter where we can become sort of hardened in our hearts to suffering, both in our own lives and in our friends, our neighbors, our families, and just sort of tell them to always put on a a false, skin-deep, cheery face on things because the suffering's not really important. And when we do this, we make a mockery of salvation because the promised day of the Lord comes and it brings justice and it brings mercy and it brings peace. The salvation that God talks about and proclaims is never just a spiritual salvation where it's only in one sense just inside of us. It is a real salvation from where God makes everything right and everything new. And if we dismiss that, if we ignore that dimension that there is, an all, there is a part of our salvation that, that hasn't come yet, we do great injustice and we will become people who do injustice. Not, we, we do injustice to the gospel itself, but we'll also act unjustly towards other people. We can also have a sense of denial where we just sort of say that everything's going to work out immediately and we sort of give false hope. And we, we can have this, and this is, I think, a danger within the church oftentimes where when we talk about hope, we talk about it in a way that just sort of says, well, things will be better tomorrow. Things will be okay tomorrow. And the problem is that sometimes they're not. We say, even in words to encourage each other, we'll say, this too shall pass. But there are some things that God gives us where this too shall last. And to the day of our death, throughout our whole life, there are chronic illnesses, chronic pain. There is injustice and sorrow and suffering in the world that we are not going to see fixed in our lifetimes. And if our hope is looking for a short-term solution, a short-term fix, if our hope is waiting for the next election, or if our hope is waiting for the end of an illness and a disease, if that is where our hope lies, we'll be continually disappointed over and over again, and the hope itself will fracture and fall short because that is not the hope that God calls us to. The hope that he calls us to is one that looks at his long arc of history that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, and justice will be done. He will set things right forever and ever. And because of that, we are called to endure patiently. And we can endure patiently if we hold on to that hope.
Another problem that can occur in this is that we can disengage. We can become so weary of suffering and of things and weary of, of what's going on that we just kind of pull away. can even look to death as a relief of, of just it ends suffering and the present doesn't really matter. And Christians can do this in a spiritual way too where our entire hope is to be taken up and away into heaven and away from this earth, away from all its problems and that's, that's sort of where all of our hope rests and lies. And there's a reality to that. There's, there's, there's a kernel of truth in that that we remember that when we die we get to be with Jesus right away. But it also can forget that God is not just pulling us out of the world. He is making a new heavens and a new earth. And salvation involves the restoration of all things. And what this means is that it's worth working for justice. It's worth working for mercy and peace. It's worth working in this world because God has created it. And God created it to be good. And God will restore it to goodness once again. And everything that we do can be taken up into what he is doing when he comes to make all things new because he's not just going to abandon us. He's not just going to abandon this world. He is going to restore it in a day of beauty and goodness and light. And that gives us courage to work right now for the peace and mercy and justice that God calls us to. That's where our hope is, that Jesus will set things right the fulfillment of the prayer that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus gave us that prayer to pray together, knowing that he would complete that work one day. We ask for this because God is going to do it, and we have hope and trust. We're looking for that day of shalom, that day of peace and justice, where Jesus will put everything right And yes, that includes restoring those who have died in Christ to life. No one is outside the scope of that day. But that day is a day of resurrection and restoration, not just a day of escape. Our ultimate destiny is not a disembodied heaven, but a re-embodied earth. As N.T. Wright puts it, salvation then is not going to heaven, but being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. And that is where our hope truly lies. So the day of the Lord is a day of hope, a day for us to look forward to. But there is another side to this promise of setting things right. Because we have 1 Thessalonians talking about the day of the Lord, and we also have Amos. Now the situation in Israel was a bit different than it was in Thessalonica. Um, At the time that Amos prophesied, Israel was in a period of relative peace and prosperity. But there were dangers on the horizon. They were looking out, and the Assyrian Empire was still around and loomed large over the entire region. And the Syrians, who are different than the Assyrians, um, were banding together a coalition to try to stand up against the Assyrian army and pose their own threat to Israel as they were kind of telling people, you're either for us or against us. Get in, or we're going to destroy you. One or the other, we're going to take the land and be so we can stand up against this other empire. And so the primary concern of Israel at this time was how God would deal with these powerful nations along their borders. And so the book of Amos starts out with words that the Israelites probably wanted to hear. It starts out with proclamations of God's judgment upon Israel's neighbors. It's kind of easy to imagine him 
as a wandering, walking up to Israel, proclaiming these judgments and gathering a crowd of people excited to hear about the destruction that God was going to bring upon their enemies. But then in the book of Amos, things quickly take a turn, and the bulk of the book warns Israel of the judgment coming upon herself. Their status as God's people will not spare them. God will not look the other way because of their feasts and their sacrifices. Their songs are despicable before him because they are sung by a people who are not practicing the heart of the law. They're not truly loving God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength. And they are certainly not loving their neighbor as themselves. So the prophet essentially tells them, be careful what you wish for. You who long for the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light, as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. The imagery in this is Honestly, it's frightening. Like this idea that you're running from a lion and then you see a bear on the, horizon, the other direction and you're stuck in between it. They, they, they want to avoid the destruction that might come from their neighbors and they run to God himself and find that destruction comes from him. Because when the day of the Lord comes, and this goes for the day of the Lord that is imagined in Amos and also for the return of Jesus... He will set all things right. He will destroy every sin. He will root out every injustice, both within his people and outside of his people. God is going to root out every sin. God is going to bring justice, and we all of us are part of that. All of us have sin within us that needs to be destroyed. All of us fall short of bringing justice in the ways that we are called to. None of us loves God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Not one of us loves our neighbors as ourselves in the way that Jesus commands and imagines us to do. So the day of the Lord will bring judgment. How is this good news? How can we have this tension, another tension that we're supposed to have, this, this day of hope and this day of judgment as well? Knowing that we too deserve to fall under judgment. This is good news because of grace. It drives us to the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that God offers, where we recognize every single time that we gather together, we speak words of confession and repentance. And we ask God to come and forgive us for our sin. And God says yes. God offers grace, and it's only because Jesus lived a perfect life, and Jesus can stand under that judgment of God. And Jesus says, I welcome you into my kingdom. I welcome you into my body I welcome, I offer you my body and my blood, and this is the sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Nothing else will do. 
This is enough, though, and I will cover you in my righteousness so that on the day of the Lord you can have a day of hope and not fear. And it's good news because we look inside of us, in in our community and in ourselves, and we see the sin that is within us. We see the darkness that still persists, no matter how badly we want to have it rooted out. And we know that it needs to be judged and destroyed. But God will do it. God will take away every sin, every darkness, There's parts of us that will die. But there's resurrection. There's new life. A life that no longer is beholden to sin. A life that is no longer under the powers of the flesh or Satan or the devil because Jesus Christ is victorious. He's already faced that. He's already faced death and risen again. And so we can have hope and joy about the coming day of the Lord when justice is done and when the words of the prophet Amos are fulfilled and justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And because we are looking to a God who will make all things right, because we know that justice will ultimately come in the day of the Lord, we also can work with hope to justice and mercy, for justice and mercy right now. In a way that doesn't do it just because we think we have to usher in the day of the Lord by our own hands. That thinks that we can somehow root out every evil. But a way that also doesn't despair about the fact that evil is going to persist forever. Because there is a day when it will be gone. And God can and will take the work of our hands the work of our church, the work of our community to work for justice and peace, to bring restoration and salvation, to to invite people in to the community of God's people where justice is good news and where hope is real. Because these things will persist. God can take them and bring them into the new heavens and the new earth. And so our work for justice is not in vain our longing and our hope will be fulfilled. There will be a day when all things are made new and God will take the work of our hands if it is done in Christ into that day. Because of that, we in the church can move and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We can give sacrificially because it's not our things that we cling to, it is the hope of the Lord can care for those who have no peace, no shalom. And we can strive to see that now. Jesus calls the church to that as part of our mission, as we are bringing part of his work and bringing the kingdom of God. And we know that work will not be complete until he returns and sets all things right. But it is a work worth being part of. He invites us to it as his people. So I invite you to this as your people, to, as the people of God, to remember the hope that you have and to look out at the world around us 
and move into it in love so that we can be part of bringing the good news that the day of the Lord is a day of hope and the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. That These two things are not opposites. They are bound together in Christ who through grace makes this a path forward where we can look for and long for the justice that rolls down like waters and the righteousness that flows like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.